they're like, oh my god, I want a brotherhood like that. I want a god yeah, yeah. just like that. I want to be well, in the I mean, trenches with my comrades in arms. Right. You know? <laughs> and we're here like, but what if you kissed in the trenches? Like, just yeah, yeah. One what more if you step. Just a little bit in the trenches. You're so close. <laughs> Welcome back to Goodwood, everyone. I'm back. I'm joined by Jess. We are without our third musketeer today because Kit is gleefully traipsing along the eastern coast and does not have access to a microphone. So this is who you get this week. <laughs> just and us. Yeah. <laughs> just us. And we wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the questions, asks, emails that we've gotten and collected and hoarded and not been able to record for for the last several months. Our recording schedule has been a mess because we are all disparate people living disparate lives. And uh, shockingly, it's really hard to carve out dedicated recording time when you've got people in three very different time zones. So um, despite that, uh, we just wanted to share our thoughts since you have so kindly shared your thoughts with us. Yeah, and I think part of what we were thinking about, so we have we have more asked than this. We've been really remiss about replying to them in a timely manner, mostly because we've been trying to do the main episodes and haven't had time to carve out mailbag time. But what we were kind of thinking about is that um, we were talking about how we focused a lot on more hockey news, so like what's currently happening with the Penguins, you know, kind of mainstream hockey stuff. And we kind of want to get back to our roots as people who are really interested in fic and in transformative fandom creations. So the, the curated list of asks that we've chosen today are all focused on fic on fake tropes and hockey fandom and things like that. So that's kind of the guiding, the overarching theme for today's episode. And we will say too that not all of these asks were sent anonymously, but we will be anonymizing them for the podcast as we do with fix that we discuss and any other fandom matters because we just want to protect the space that we inhabit on the internet. So um, if you hear your question get answered and you don't hear it attributed. That is just our general safety policy, um, but do know that we dearly appreciate you. Okay. Um, do you want me to read the first one? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So this is from an anonymous commenter. Loved the ABO episode. Totally understand that it didn't come up as it's less established as a subgenre, but I would have been interested in a mention of what AO3 calls alternate universe BDSM as kind of related to ABO, dealing with a lot of similar themes but usually taking away most of the biological components like impreg and heat, et cetera. Would have loved to hear your thoughts on that, but I did love it either way. Smiley face. I have an interesting like backstory to like my opinions on BDSM AUs, mostly rooted in my origin story as a Twilight fan back in the day. Ooh. And like BDSM <laughs> fic, like had cult followings. Like obviously there was like Fifty Shades of Grey, but before Fifty Shades of Grey, there was the submissive. And there was actually like fan wars kind of between fans of those two fics because some people thought one was derivative of another and it was like a huge hullabaloo. But I voraciously gobbled those fics down at like deeply, arguably too young age and <laughs> unaged to be reading them. But I used to really like them because they were kind of like the most taboo you got in Twilight fandom. And then I genuinely like did not see them again until hockey. Like they just did, they fell off my radar 
of whatever fandoms I was reading for until I got back to hockey and I noticed that there wasn't like a proliferation but there were some like dedicated devotees and some long established fix that were set in BDSM universes so it was kind of interesting to see that crop back up when I hadn't seen it for such a long time yeah I was trying to think like I know I'd seen Dom subfix before I feel like maybe in Harry Potter, but I don't really remember that being a huge part of One Direction. And then, yeah, but I, I think we have slightly different. I kind of loved Dom Sub because I, it was like my gateway fic into see Gino was a very long and very famous Dom Sub fic. And that really shaped my perception of the characters. So Wait, I sorry, think like- What fic was a famous fic? Since we're not like naming yeah. author names, I'm just like referring to it. But it's just like there is a Sid Gino Dom Sub fic. And that was the first fic I ever read in hockey fandom. Like when I knew nothing about the characters, nothing about anything else, I was just like, oh, here's a long fic that somebody's racked. And I read it. And so I think I have more like positive feel or like more attachments to the trope maybe than you do. But because that was my gateway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of grown away from it, I would say, over, over the years. But I think it's because ABO fulfills that niche that thing i'm looking for the thing that i got out of bdsm aus is like oh a little tween on the internet now i find abo much more fulfilling i find it more intriguing i'm really drawn to like the biological aspects of it and like the feral aspects and i tend to find bdsm universes very sterile and i'm very much not into reading the negotiations on the page which is funny because that's like all that BDSM fic has ever gotten criticized for on in like kink spaces. We get like kinksters discussing how horrible Fifty Shades of Grey is because like there's a lot of violations of consent in there and whatever. And the funny thing for me is like now knowing what I know about like my tastes in fic, I'm like, well, that's that's what I liked about it back in the day. And as people have kind of gotten more knowledgeable and understanding of actual BDSM practices as opposed to whatever we were doing maybe like a decade, a decade and a half ago. It it just, the structures of it are no longer appealing to me because they just don't bring the kind of like taboo aspects I'm looking for that um, ABO has been fulfilling for me. And also I think too, there haven't been a ton of BDSM AUs recently. I think they had a bit of a moment in couldn't give you an age range of like the years where that was happening but I think there was like a crop of them but they didn't turn into like a perennial fandom thing yeah yeah I never had to read a lot of them yeah and maybe I was just thinking like maybe we should actually stop and talk about them since they are kind of an older trope or a trope that's not as common anymore Um, maybe stop and give a definition because I think alternate universe BDSM can encompass a pretty wide range of types of fic yeah so I would say like to me like a fic can obviously have BDSM elements in it and not be considered this but for me an alternate universe BDSM is sort of like ABO where there's almost like a secondary designation it's not exactly a gender designation it has more to do with your sexual preferences, right? But it's, you know, it's seen as something like relatively innate or fixed. You're either a dom or a sub, or sometimes you have, you know, there are other categories within that in the same way that there are with an ABO. And it's kind of like a built-in social hierarchy within the world. And I would say like often there's a political element to it in the way that ABO is, like often like subs are a little bit more of a marginalized class, but it doesn't always, like sometimes it can just be a kink thing too. Does that kind of map onto your understanding of AU BDSM? Yes. I think I was veering more into just BDSM fic, which is like, of course, what happened with Twilight. Like there was no such thing as like being assigned sub or dom 
in the fic that I was reading in like the 2000s. That was not, yeah, th- those right, were deeply right, different yeah. things. So yeah, you know, you're correct that I do associate them. So when I think of like BDSM fic, I think of both normal world people practicing BDSM and alternate universe BDSM, but you're correct in that they are two distinct things that are like they're cousins, but they're not, they're not twins, which I, I think unfortunately the the biologically encoded version, the alternate universe BDSM tag has never really clicked with me fully. And I think it's like I almost kind of connected to your reservations about ABO, which I was actually re-listening to that podcast in preparation for this one. And my hang up, I'll say, with alternate universe BDSM fix is I find them deeply unbelievable, which is hilarious given like <laughs> ABO. But for some reason, I'm like, okay, you're in this world and there are alphas and there are omegas and like they have all these animalistic characteristics and their biology is different. And I'm like, okay, okay, I believe you're you. on board. Yeah. I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, like, right, okay, got it. okay. <laughs> now there's this universe where you like to be sexually submissive or, you know, sexually dominant and like that's kind of fixed. And I'm like, nope, nope, t- nope. I don't, be- I don't believe you. Sorry. I don't, I don't buy it, which I don't know why. But for some reason, I just feel – I don't feel grounded in the world, and I find it difficult to write it. I know I've tried because it has, like, a lot of elements that I'm theoretically interested in, and I've written things that I think would fit, kind of. Like, I've written, like, collaring AUs and stuff like that. But trying to get deeper into the world building, I have a lot of really weird hang-ups about what does and doesn't make sense to me in in it. So I've never really gotten fully deeply into it. So I'd love to hear more about what appeals in it for you as like someone who really likes it and has a lot of really fond memories in our present fandom of this exact thing. Yeah. So I definitely agree. Like, I think there are some elements of it that really jive with ABO, like especially the power play in a sexual sense, not a hockey sense, right? But like the um, play with power dynamics, things like things like collaring or, um, you know, formalized forms of submission that I think like we share that interest in that grimy consent play type fic, right? So that definitely appeals to you, and that's a part of it for me. But I was thinking about when you were talking about like why it doesn't feel as believable, I wonder if it's because I don't know. And, you know, I like to read it, but I kind of feel the same way. Like, to me, the the worlds never feel quite as rich as an ABO world. And I'm kind of wondering if that's because the dom-sub dynamic is so focused on sex, right? Like, in, in some fix, it manifests in other ways, like that submissives will kneel at different occasions, right? Or that they, like, there's hand feeding or there are things like that, like forms of, of ritualized submission outside of the bedroom. But it's really, really focused on sex. And I guess what feels different about that is like ABO is like so focused, you know, there's a lot of sex in it, but it's so focused on gender. And gender is this thing that affects our lives and the ways that we're perceived outside of the bedroom and all these different ways. And um, and it just feels like ABO feels more real because you can kind of envision it influencing every part of someone's selfhood and someone's relationships in the way that gender influences your relationships and your self-perception and the way that you perceive others and all this stuff, right? So I think ABO, like, even though it has these really alternate universe biology or these really alternate universe, like, animalistic characteristics and stuff, it just feels more real to me than, like, a dom subverse, which is not to say that I can't enjoy the dom subverse. I think I'm able to, like, suspend disbelief if I like the dynamic enough. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't care if this world is as richly realized as something else. But yeah, I don't know. It does feel like removing some of those biological components 
and removing the gender aspect of it for some reason makes the power dynamics like a little bit less appealing or feel a little thinner to me. I deeply love how you framed that. And I think it perfectly like illustrated for me and clarified my own thoughts in understanding that I think my hangup is about in alternate universe BDSM fix, I feel like there's not a good enough reason for sex to be brought out into the mainstream of like that universe as much as it is. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, like a lot of the, I'm like, this is like wildly inappropriate. Like, why are they doing this? What's going on? Like, I don't feel, I don't get why. But in ABO where it's like gender on steroids and it's all like, again, very biological, very feral, very animalistic. I feel like that lends itself more easily to seeing how and why sex is so like public in ABO worlds. And, you know, just sexuality is a lot more built into the world where I don't feel like, I think that's my issue again with the alternate universe BDSM fix is that I, I have some hang up about why sexuality, like if you are a submissive or a dominant would play into your life outside of the bedroom when it doesn't feel like it impacts as many other elements of your life as would a full secondary gender like ABO has. Even though, like you said, they do sometimes play into other facets of life of like submissives being maligned or, you know, having to do forms of submission that aren't necessarily sexual but are like kind of sexual so it's complicated and also i think too abo has its own universe that we all kind of play in like we discussed so i think it's easier to get buy-in because there's more like cultural familiarity with it in fixed spaces so we, we don't have to do as much world building if you're jumping into abo as you might have to do for an alternate universe bdsm fic because although it's established like as a tag i think in order to create a world, you need to do more generative world building just because there isn't as much. Whereas for ABO, it's almost like you can kind of walk into the bar and expect everyone to know the language you're speaking. Right, right. Yeah. And and to go back to something you were saying about why would sexuality be that public? I think the other aspect of ABO being a really gendered world is that gender is like about the body and like an ABO is so much more rooted in the body than Dom Sub is. Like Dom Sub feels like it feels very heady, you know? It's like even though it's about like sexual drives and impulses or whatever, it feels like this very intellectualized version. Whereas ABO has that really like it's so rooted in the body. Things about like heat cycles or rut cycles or suppressants or scenting or all of these elements are so visceral and I feel like you just you can feel ABO in a way that you can't and it makes sense that gender and the gendered body would hugely impact all these areas outside of the bedroom in a way that it doesn't make sense to me right like why would your sexual preferences be a part of your public you know just a part of like publicly how you how you're perceived or how you behave or whatever so I don't know yeah I still enjoy it, but I, I think it just feels different to me in that way. Right, and I don't, and I don't want to, like, rain on anyone's parade. Like, if, if a fic pops up in the Sigino tag that's tagged Ultra Universe BDSM, I am immediately opening it and reading it and probably enjoying it. Like, that's – like, I don't mean to, like, harp on it. It's just I'm interested in why I don't buy into it as much as – and as voraciously as I do for ABO because, like, they are similar enough where I'm like, you should be into both of these, but – it's funny how these completely fictional worlds that have no basis in reality can be so personal depending on like what you connect to based on seemingly minuscule things. So, 
And I could also totally see why Downsub would appeal to somebody who's interested in those sort of power dynamics of ABO, but is maybe uncomfortable with some of the parts of ABO that, you know, like we've talked about a little bit about how like some of the early resistance or pushback to ABO was around like, is this trans erasure or is this a way of writing trans characters without actually having to write them? Or is the like kind of ABO gender inversion stuff, like, you know, the trope inversion stuff, like, uh, I don't know, like this way of like kind of avoiding like actually dealing with uh, real gendered themes, <laughs> you know, the gender themes of our real world. And then I know there are lots of people who are uncomfortable with the impreg aspects of ABO. And so I could see why if you're not comfortable with those things, but there are lots of things about the power dynamics, like exploring power dynamics and in, in like sexual scenes and then also non-sexual context, right? If that's interesting to you, that might feel like a richer way to explore those things without delving into subjects that make you uncomfortable or writing about gendered bodies in ways that don't feel right to you. So Right. And I also think too, like it's a lot, it might be a lot safer for people who don't care for dubious consent or like non-consent in their works and like there is that in bdsm AUs, but i think it's dealt with differently and it's not really as assumed as it might be in abo because a lot of abo is messy consent play and like that might not be safe for a lot of people and in that same vein i think sometimes people turn to bdsm fic to kind of get a taste of a story in which the dominant is kind of really intentionally actually taking care of the submissive, even in alternate universe BDSMs. And like, you don't get a lot of that in like the ABO that at least I read and write. Like usually it's just really messy and like people doing stupid things and working themselves into ethically dubious situations. But if you want a fic that's more focused on like caretaking and like the whole like aftercare element of it and stuff like that, you're going to gravitate towards Mm -hmm. BDSM AUs and alternate universe BDSM a lot more than you will ABO. So it could just be like, what are you looking for out of this experience? Because although these are similar, they might deal with those two elements in drastically different ways. Yeah, I really like that. And I think we've both talked about how like we find like this is going to sound bad, but like I find like really detailed negotiations of consent in a fic to be kind of unrealistic and not especially sexy, you know, like it kind of takes me out of the story. But I know for some people, it's really exciting to see that represented in fiction. It's really important to see people talking through why they like what they like in bed and like how they want to navigate these situations and how they want to negotiate that. So I think that's also just like kind of a personal preference thing, like what you're, yeah, what you get out of the fic, you know? (laughs) And I don't mean to say like, obviously, I, I appreciate it when people are negotiating consent and being like responsible about like you know their sexual encounters but um i think in bdsm alternate universe fix that's like ritualized in a different way and is really formalized in in a way that um it's not in abo or even in just non-bdsm type fix so right i mean like yeah at the end of the day i'm not surprised that we here at dubiousconsentpodcast.org <laughs> like the dubious consent uh, <laughs> fiction a little bit more than we do the uh, more heavily ritualized and negotiated kind of fic. But that being said, two cakes. We have two cakes here, and they're both equally good yeah, cakes. Yeah, And so like, eat, I will happily yeah. try <laughs> a slice cakes. of each, <laughs> even though I happen to bake one variety of cake repeatedly over and over again. You know, <laughs> so um. Thank you so much for sending that question in because I've often thought about like what what's up with me and alternate universe BDSM. So thank you for giving us the chance to talk about that. All right, you want to read the second one? Sure. Um, so the next question reads: Some questions. What are your thoughts on the things hockey RPF fandom focuses on, since it's not a fandom with intentional fan service, especially compared to fandoms that have had that? And do you think that plays into tin hatting or a lack thereof? 
I'm obsessed with the phrase alternative domestic space, and I'd love to hear more on how interactions with private spaces play into hockey RPF, given everything we have access to is public. And finally, oh my god, I can't wait for the gendering of Sidney Crosby episode. Okay, me too. I <laughs> deeply want to get to that. Yeah. I so deeply want to, but we it would simply be unethical to have that podcast without Kit present. So we must wait for them to return to Europe so we can um, aggressively gender Sidney Crosby. <laughs> Yeah. So before we dive into this one, let's just do some quick definitions up front. So how would you define intentional fan service? So my understanding of fan service is heavily rooted in my past as a K-pop fan back in the 2010s, where to me, fan service is when the object of your fandom does little things to kind of like politely and kindly bait you into engaging and oftentimes they're kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod situations that might be lending themselves towards slashy things, or they might just be lending themselves to like obsessive fanish interest. So it's like, oh, here's a nugget of like something we know a fan will be interested in, like wink, wink, here you go. And um, it's done intentionally. So that's what I think of when I think of fan service. Yeah. And I think that connects. The other thing I was going to ask about is our definition of tin hatting. So to me, like tin hatting is when, you know, tin hat conspiracy theorists, right? When you think that the ship is real and that it's being covered up in some way and you're looking for evidence that your ship is actually canon and not just uh, not just something that's happening in the, you know, in the minds of the fans. And I think that question is asking in fandoms where there's a lot of tin hatting, there can sometimes be intentional fan service where the wink, wink, nudge, nudge is about like between the two people that you're shipping, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. ooh, there might be something happening here. Or like, I don't know, like like Harry Styles wearing a shirt that says Harry loves Louie, right? You know, like those Did are that forms happen? of fans. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> yeah. Oh, no. It was, it was before everything really took off. So I don't think he could be blamed for it. No. I think he was just, I think he was doing like wink, wink, funny fan service that fed into this tin hatting that kind of exploded, right? But I think uh, that's kind of the way I'm interpreting those those questions. So yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about like fan service in hockey RPF and the stuff that we write about and how that affects tin hatting or lack thereof? We don't get fan service in the way I'm traditionally used to getting it. It's so deeply removed from like both of us are referring to fan service from bands and band members, mm -hmm. specifically boy band members. And it's it's a world of difference between that and hockey and what our hockey guys are doing on the ice. When they are like bumping into each other, they are deeply not thinking about what the <laughs> fans are going to think that they're doing. On like that's It's so far removed from their concept of what they're doing for their job, which is not the case, I think, for a lot of these boy band members. But that being said, I think it can be done, but it's done by media teams. And it's done by certain people who are on like the new media teams for their hockey teams, and they might be courting certain aspects of the population by releasing certain things. Are they doing it to the extent that some of the K-pop guys who were like pretending to kiss each other kind of stuff were doing? No. But it's still a little there, but it's a degree removed because it's not the players themselves doing it. And, like, I can compare it to, like, Brandon Tanev, right? He kissed one of his teammates as, like, a video that they were doing for, like, media. But it was very clearly played for jokes. And it was so tonally different than, like, a fan service kiss. They were doing it for laughs, whereas I think if you're doing it in a fan service way, you know you're courting some kind of romantic sexual interest from fans not from another person you're working with that's like the you're triangulating it 
but it's mostly focusing towards the fans. Whereas I think when like Tanev kissed his teammate, he was like, oh, this is going to be funny. Watch this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think too, that's like a difference in what they're selling. You know what I mean? Like I think in a boy band, what they're selling is we have these intensely close relationships. We spend all our time together. We know each other so well. We're the best of friends. Maybe there's something more going on, like whatever. And they're they're kind of selling this performance of male intimate friendship, right? Whereas in hockey, maybe that happens just like it, you know, like because guys are friends and they're messing around or they're, you know, playing something for laughs or whatever, or the media team is shooting something in a specific way, but they're ultimately selling hockey, you know? Right. And maybe that's a difference of audience too. Like part of what gets people so invested in boy bands is that sense of, oh, we're getting this privileged insight into this friendship or into this group dynamic or whatever. Whereas with hockey, it's like you have this whole group of of non-female fans or people who are not interested in that who are like, oh, I just care about how the team is doing, right? Or I care about how people are playing. So it's kind of a difference in terms of like what you're selling and who you're selling it to. But I do think that affects tin hatting. You know, that I think that's part of why hockey, there's so little tin hatting compared to boy band fandoms. Right. Because you're not being sold directly the relationships between two people that's that's like a byproduct in hockey and i think like it's fair to say that in hockey that's still like an emotional focus like we had all these articles over the summer when tanger and gino got re-signed and like back in 2018 or whenever it was when that huge sid and gino article came out about like their legacy is leaving the penguins together and stuff like that so it's like that is something that is still being sold Mm -hmm. within hockey Mm -hmm. but the audience is men and yeah, it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not men who want to see them kissing, unfortunately. Yeah, and the men are like, the men are not thinking like, oh, what if, like, you know, right. what if there was only one bed? No. <laughs> like, <laughs> no. They're thinking, they're like, oh my God, I want a brotherhood like that. I want a guy yeah, yeah. just like that. I want to be well, in the I mean, trenches with my comrades in arms. Right. You know? <laughs> and we're here like, but what if you kissed in the trenches? Like, just yeah, yeah. One what more if you step. Just a little bit in the trenches. You're so close. <laughs> Um, which like, and I also don't want to be too mean to guys who are looking into that too, because I think it's, it's, I like it when guys are invested in the relationships between players, even though they're often viewing it platonically, because I see a lot of guys who don't do that because they kind of are performing stoicism and performing, you know, aggressive masculinity that like, I only care about my team and as a team and not individual players. So I do like it when fanboys and I mean, like, the di- very different kind than fangirls, fanboys, care about the guys and their relationships as they are reported, even though, you know, it's a little different than what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I love reading the comments on an athletic article, like one of those profiles or whatever, you know, where it's just like all these guys being like, oh, my God, like, how beautiful, you know, like, <laughs> they're such good people. They love each Brothers other so for much. Life. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's very moving, you know. And I do think it's interesting because... I think it's interesting that you can have both, right? Like that in hockey, you can have like the transformative angle where it's like, we're like, why don't you kiss in the trenches, you know? Um, But you can also have the like, like men or other people who aren't fans, like just really enjoying like a long standing friendship. And I feel like that's kind of nice because I don't think you can really have that as much in the boy band fandoms. Like shipping culture is so huge there that if like you can't really have like that appreciation for like an intimate friendship between men without there being that edge of shipping. And like if you're not into that, it's hard to get away from that part of the culture to enjoy it in a way that's not influenced by that. There's nothing wrong with shipping. Obviously, like we do it. We love it. But um, but it's kind of nice to have like these different modes with which you can engage with hockey, whereas 
like and you the can't shipping really have isn't that as the much. Yeah. the shipping isn't the product like we were saying before like I think that's something that I always kind of wondered about like the idols that I used to be into when I was a K-pop fan if part of your job is publicly flirting with and courting your bandmates for public approval and for you know more intense fan reactions or whatever that in my view inevitably has to impact your actual relationship with them that doesn't necessarily mean like for the worse like i don't think it's gonna like you know ruin your friendship or anything though it could but um it's something that you have to consider every time that you interact with your friend hopefully or your coworker at worst publicly Whereas that's not something that's weighing on the minds of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin when they're out and about, you know, like they're that they're not aware of that. Like, sure, they're aware of like the paparazzi and like normal stuff, but they're not thinking along the lines of like, oh, fuck, they're going to think that we're doing something or whatever, which yeah. is when I think of like Tin Hatting, I think of two of the Team Wolf fandom and how obsessive some of the Steric fans got like we're leading a campaign almost to like canonize the ship and we're like sending like cookies with like styles and derek's faces on them like to set somehow i don't know how they manage that (laughs) and like both actors very much knew what certain fans like wanted for them and were looking for and whatever and even though it wasn't really rpf like there was rpf of that fandom but the focus wasn't so much on getting the actors together as it was getting the characters together but like i think it impacted how the show got written and how those characters got written from there on out like negatively and so when i think of tin hatting and what's possible i'm very grateful that i'm kind of in a fandom now that does have this more socially acceptable socially normative fanish behavior because in my view, it removes a lot of my like secondhand stress over worrying what they think about it. Because not once in my life have I ever been worried that Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin are going to be worried about Sid Gino. Because like as yeah. far as I know, they don't know about it. And I don't think they will anytime soon. And I that's something I've thought about in the past. And other fandoms are like, oh, fuck, are we being embarrassing? Whereas like now, it's like, no, we're just kind of like doing our own thing under the radar. Because seemingly communally, for the most part... We've all kind of agreed that it's just a ship and it's not anything real. Yeah, yeah. And I like what you used to go back to what you were saying about like the pressure it puts on them to to kind of behave in a certain way with their colleagues or whatever. It's like it it does feel like in a boy band setting or in, you know, a popular show setting or something where the actors are involved in the ship, there's like so much more pressure to be performative or to be really decisively not performative, to perform like we are not like that. This is not whatever. You know what I mean? And like I think what's nice about hockey is that it feels like the moments that we get of, you know, just like guys hanging out, being friends, like it just feels more genuine, you know, because there's no pressure or expectation. Like there's no reason that Sid and Gino have to be good friends or best friends to play on a team together. Like they could have had their whole careers like, you know, not doing that. So it's like when you see like evidence of how much they really like each other and care about each other and the things that they say about each other and the choices that they've made to keep playing together, you're like, oh man, it just feels more genuine because it's none of that pressure on it, which is kind of nice. What's better than this? Guys being dudes, right? Yeah, yeah. Guys being dudes, being best friends. Yeah. So I'm, again, I'm, I have not been in a fandom with tin hatting for a little while. Or at least I haven't been in, like, the segment of fandom that does the tin hatting in a very long time. And I've never actually been a tin hatter. Even as, like, a teenager when I was getting into, like, the K-pop stuff, I was never 
susceptible to it, which I'm grateful for. And it's made my fandom experience a lot more peaceful, I think, than it would have been had I been caught up in a Tin Hattie fandom. Yeah. So I like I've said it. I think I've said it before on this podcast, but I would deeply have not survived uh, One Direction fandom. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, like KO. Yeah, we like, all have I'm scars. Yeah. <laughs> we you all have deep Kidder. psychic wounds. <laughs> you and Kit are stronger and perhaps more scarred <laughs> than I will ever be. But yeah, so yeah, I do think that fan service does play into the lack of Tin Hatting that we see in hockey. Um, let's see. Um, Jess, would you like to talk a little bit more about alternative domestic spaces? Because I believe that was a Jess-ism. Yeah, I think I talked about that when we were talking about what we liked or what was similar to our past fandoms and our present fandoms. And I was saying it's kind of similar with One Direction and hockey that you have these alternative domestic spaces because they're on the road all the time. And this might not even be my phrase. It might be a phrase that I read analyzing One Direction fandom. So don't I, – I don't know that I can claim credit for it. But um, – But yeah, I was just, I think what I was talking about is just in a way, even though hockey RPF, I think there's much clearer divides between their private lives and public lives, and they're not marketing their private lives in the same way that boy bands are. You kind of get this, like, uh, because they spend so much time together, they're kind of touring in the same way that a band is touring, you know, like they're spending a lot of time in hotels and restaurants, like hanging out on buses or on planes. So I think what I was interested in was just like that, even though we don't get their private lives, there's a lot of rich ground for us to think about these lives that they're living on the road that are not part of their public jobs, you know, but are times where they're casually hanging out and interacting with each other. And I think hockey RPF kind of reminds me of One Direction RPF, where a lot of it is about you're on the road, you're on a flight, you're on a hotel, like the settings are kind of the same. And people have these lives that they live on the road. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that really answers the question, but I think that was just what I was thinking when I was thinking about like these domestic spaces that are kind of semi-public, semi-private. They're public in that they're attached to their public profession, but they're private in that they're not on the clock in those spaces. Does that make sense? I think, yes. And I think it's interesting to consider that the most intense or charged or intimate or otherwise important scenes in hockey RPF tend to be inside those alternative domestic spaces. I think about this kind of often when I read or write hockey fic is so, so little of it is actually writing game settings. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like so little of it is actually writing hockey. You write like two sentences about the game and then you're like, enough of that. <laughs> like, Let's get to the right. hotel. <laughs> right. And like, I think it's like that acknowledgement that the emotional groundwork and emotional scenes that we're looking for are things that are not occurring on the ice. They can. I know I've written stories and I've read many, many, many others where like, yeah, there are pivotal, huge moments that happen on the ice. But the vast majority of of those scenes take place in domestic spaces and because they're often on the road it's alternative or communal domestic spaces so i think it's kind of interesting to think about how we get so much information about these guys but that information is often statistically relevant to their hockey more so than it is to their like personal lives we know everything and anything we could ever know about Sidney Crosby, the player, but like Sidney Crosby, the man, we know fractions of like who he actually is. Right. And that's drastically improved in the last five years compared to what we had before. So all of that imaginative fandom work that we do of like imagining these deep romances and these characterizations that like, you know, our characters 
that happens in these domestic spaces that mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. that we know exist, but we don't know how. You know, unless you are there, unless you're cleaning out those bedrooms after they've slept in them, <laughs> or unless you happen to be in the same club as them, you know, that night, it's just us imagining things as fans. And I think it's kind of it speaks to what fans gravitate towards when they're writing fic for hockey. And it's not the hockey, though the hockey is a huge yeah. part of it and like yeah. defines their lives. We're looking at these slices of domestic life that grow up like weeds to the cracks of sidewalk, you know, just trying to create a life am- amidst all this travel and, you know, the insanity of a hockey lifestyle and trying to build like stories about people in love in those little moments. So, you know, I think you need those alternative domestic spaces in order to write an effective romance because we know so much about these players, but we also know nothing. So I think too, like one thing that really interests me is I feel like, and I'm about to make some huge generalizations that I'm sure people will be like, this is not like what born out in my experience or whatever, but most of the men I know, (laughs) you know, the six guys I know, like they have like a couple good friends, maybe a good friend group, but they don't spend a lot of time in each other's houses or just like hanging out casually with each other or whatever. Like it's, it seems like there's something about these domestic spaces where they're on the road. So it's okay for them to be spending a ton of time in each other's company, hanging out in a bedroom or hanging out, you know, on a couch in a hotel room or whatever, like in a way that men maybe don't always get to do in real life or whatever. (laughs) So I don't know. There's just something about that where it's like, there's something a little bit more intimate about the domestic space, even when it's these alternate domestic spaces. And I think that is an interesting aspect of hockey to me too, because I don't know that most men are casually hanging out in people's bedrooms or like in people's living spaces all the time, unless it's like a really close friend. Right. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, I I guess that's just like an aspect of hockey that I find kind of interesting that they just have this closeness with other men, this proximity and shared space with other men in a way that's made possible by their jobs, but can also facilitate or spark these other interactions that are fertile ground for fic. I almost want to compare it to, you know how if you're in a car with someone, you're like, ooh, okay, now's a good time to tell a secret kind of a thing. (laughs) Where it's like, because you know that the space that you're in is transitory and temporary. It has an ending point and you don't have to look directly at them while you say it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And like, so like, I, I always think about like how, how when I was a, like a high schooler and like my mom was driving me anywhere, I'd always be like, maybe now I should come out. Maybe. And it was only ever in cars. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I just compare it to how the same holds true for hockey fic where it's like these these glimpses of like parallel living like they're living together on the road or like in the locker room or whatever like they're fun they're doing life together in these small little moments and they're brought together by them and they're stuck there for whatever reason like either like it's a practice so they have to be in yeah, the locker room yeah or like it's a it's a trip so they have to be in the plane and those are just natural scenes or beats in a story that would provide conflict so i think like that's what you need when you're building out a story is those moments where the characters convene and there's a circumstance keeping them together when perhaps they don't want to or perhaps something's hanging over them so i think it just lends itself really well to storytelling it's keeping your characters trapped in a car 
Yeah. I I love that. And I, I love too that there's something intimate and transitory about those spaces. Because I think in One Direction Fic, that was a big, that was like the way that people wrote hotels, right? There are these intimate spaces that are also transitory. There's kind of this illusion that whatever happens here isn't really real because this isn't our real lives. You know, this is like just us on the road. And I think there's kind of, you can do something similar in hockey fandom or hockey fic where you're like, you can kind of imagine like, oh, this is a place where I could tell a secret or this is a place where I could do something. And it doesn't have to count because it's in this space that is ephemeral that we're going to move through and move beyond, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fun to think about. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the locker rooms. You know, you're just naked together all the time. But <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you get to observe the bodies yeah. of other men. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we go on to the next one? Yes. Okay. So the next one is from an anonymous writer who says, do the hosts have favorite, I knew a guy in juniors style hockey curse fix? What are some of your favorite hockey curse related tropes? Have hockey curse fix gotten less popular in recent years or am I just imagining it? And if so, any thoughts on why? I almost regret that we're not doing this with Kit here because I think Kit is a lot more well-versed and a lot more intrinsically appreciative of tropes fix in like this specific kind of trope fic than you and I are unfortunately um but no commenter you are not imagining that hockey curse fix are like dropping off the radar like in my very faulty memory I feel like they're they've been like functionally like extinct since 2014 like I just don't see them crop up and like to be fair I don't read widely within our hockey RPF so like maybe there's like a huge upswing of hockey curse fix with like, I don't know, Mitch Marner. I don't know. <laughs> but like in my limited, from my limited vantage point, no, I don't see them anymore. And I don't mourn them too much because like they're fun, but to me they feel very much like a relic of an older kind of fandom and an older kind of fic writing that I just don't see very often in 2023 like it's just to me it just it feels dated and that's not inherently bad but it's also not what I often do with my fix or it's not how a lot of my friends are doing their fix and I think it's maybe for me I have like two modes when I write fic either I'm way too involved and it's like this sprawling story that I angst over for a billion years and like spend forever writing or trying to write or I'm being out a really quick erotica ficlet and calling it a day and like washing my hands of it. And to me, the kind of trope fic, which I think of like cut babies are one of them or like, you know, switched bodies fix, you know, like, like fun little hijinks curses are like kind of where my mind goes with that. Those don't na naturally come to me as like potential storylines. But also I think my inclination for those was if I were to ever write one, it would be a very short thing and it wouldn't be like a sprawling longer fic because I personally would have a hard time milking that for enough content to like justify a long storyline. But that's just because that's the kind of writer I am. So I don't know where these trope writers went, but I think they should come back because they've been gone for a little while and I think they'd freshen up the space. Yeah, so this isn't just about hockey curse fix, but tropier fix like that. Like I think body swap is a good example or like, you know, those one, I don't know, where you're just like if you're doing like a trope bingo or something, the kinds of things that would be on that. Yeah, it's like I feel like the way that I feel about this fix is I enjoy them if they're 
rooted in deeper character work. You know, like I think it's interesting when somebody uses that to surface other problems in the relationship or, you know, things that they're not talking about or past situations that they haven't dealt with or whatever. Like I can think of a few fics that use like really tropey premises to do really interesting stuff with the character dynamic. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I'm just not as into like tropey, tropey stuff as I used to be like just for the, you know, the sheer delight of being like, oh, I'm going to pick up a tropey fic and read it just for fun. I'm not quite as into that anymore. And that might just be like a phase thing. Like maybe I've moved out of that phase and I'll move back into it at some point. But yeah, I almost like when I think of tropes i'm thinking of something very different than like i'm thinking of like book talk and like bookstagram things are very like trope heavy over there right now like they're really into like books that all have x in them and x is some kind of quote-unquote trope but that's like bed sharing or like someone holds a knife to another person's throat or like you know there was only one bed and that's funny because like i like all those things like those are all great i really like them but when I think of trope fic, I don't think of those things anymore. Because to me, those are tropes, but I only ever see them included in other fics that have, like, somewhat more of a plot or, like, there's something more going on. Like, or like a cabin fic where two characters get snowed in at a cabin and have to, like, deal with their emotions. Love that. But for some reason, when I'm thinking of, like, tropey fics, I don't think of those kind of things. And I think it's because maybe they've evolved to be more general plot points or I just see them more incorporated. But when I think of like hockey tropes where it's like cut babies or like they woke up in each other's bodies or just st stuff along those lines, I don't, if that's the whole plot, I feel in want of a little bit more, which I'm not saying that is always the case, that that's always the whole plot. But I feel like when those fix first erupted onto like the hockey scene, they were kind of um, focused solely on the trope involved. And that's not really what I read anymore. Yeah, I also feel like sometimes I just want like, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Again, to be clear, I really enjoy tropey stuff. Like, you know, like I'm not bashing people's preferences or whatever. But I think sometimes the tropey stuff can feel like uh, a way of jamming the characters into a situation that doesn't feel organic and is putting a lot of external structure around the plot and then like they have to like admit their feelings or whatever but it's like I don't know I think for whatever reason like in the last five years or whatever like I've just gotten more into stuff where it, maybe there's some kind of external pressure but it's much more about whatever the internal conflict is between the characters and the the situation is kind of echoing that and not I don't know. I'm not phrasing that very well. But I think I think sometimes it can just feel a little gimmicky, like the, when a trope is used just to like put a trope in there, you know? Which like, um, to be fair, that yeah. can sometimes be the point of a fic. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. You know, I think like, this is I, just I mean, like personal preference, right? Like, right. <laughs> right. And like, for what it's worth, the little like erotica ficlets that I'm putting out, where it's like 5,000 words, it's not like... I'm not I don't feel like I'm really like doing craft in those moments, but that's not my intention when I when I write that or put that out there for other people. I am very willing to extend that same freedom to write what they want to everyone else because yeah, you yeah. know, my different goals, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, like my smut fix are not going to be for everyone in the same way that everyone else's fix are not always going to be for me. And I do enjoy reading like a fun little gimmicky tropey thing because like sometimes that's what you want and like it can be fun and it can be well rendered and it can be enjoyable. But as like writers, it's not for y me and I'm presuming for you too. It's just not what we've really gravitated towards. And I think that's kind of 
it's age-based, but it's I'm not saying that these fic writers were young when they were doing this a decade ago. I just yeah, think – it's like era-based maybe or something like Yeah, that. it's like, era-based yeah. where it's like different things get popular in different iterations of fandom. And whatever is happening right now to me does not feel as trope-focused or trope-friendly even as it has in the past. And I wonder if it's because people kind of take fic a little bit – more seriously or even too seriously now than they haven't in the past so like maybe it's just this iteration of fandom that is what you know the general populace is more focused on but what i like about fandom is that whatever most people are doing is never what you have to do and you can always do your own thing like when i entered the hockey rpf scene there were like i swear there were like five abo fix for sid you know and, like, now there are a hell of a lot more. But, <laughs> and 100 um, of them are yours. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes you move You're in and you say, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go buy some paint and uh, <laughs> fuck around and change this place up. You know, but that's just how fan- fandom lives and evolves and works like that. So, you know, it's tropes feel like a relic to me. That doesn't mean they're dead. But, like, when I think of, like, old traditional hockey tropes, I don't think of them in a current sense. I think of them as like a past iteration of what hockey fandom once was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do we want to do one last one or do we want to? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So the last one reads, love the new episode. So I know a few pro athletes personally, no one at all hockey adjacent, otherwise I would not be here. And I've read articles about them and talked to them about it. And even when the writers are entirely truthful, not a single fact bent even a little bit, It's honestly incredible and weird as fuck to see how much an often misleading narrative they can craft by only writing about certain things and writing about them in a certain way. Like, you mentioned that men in mainstream sports fandom are also there for the narratives, and I guess I want to say, so are the journalists. It's not that far off from RPF sometimes, even though in a very different way. Like you said, very different narratives. Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Two of, two of our prominent beat writers. Like, and, I know. I think we're thinking of the same one. <laughs> um, of our players. So, yes. And I think this is really important to remember. And I also think it's important as a way to kind of justify our interest in the way that we're interested in these guys' lives. Because as people who are not men, you know, as women, non-binary people, that our interest in these guys' lives is just as valid as the interest that more objective men have in these guys because like there were published articles about Sid and Gino's friendship that are like could be posted on AO3 arguably (laughs) Uh, and you know like it's true that they are just they're going to be just as biased or perhaps just as incorrect as fan interpretations could be I mean oh my god all of the rumors flying around leading up to contract gate were like very clearly no one knew anything and there were like conflicting opinions and stuff like that going on so it's like that's just a guy that's just a guy who gets paid to go to games and write about them. The only difference is that he is paid to go to games to write about them. The rest of us are doing this shit for free. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Contract Gate was what really drove home for me. Like, oh, nobody knows anything. <laughs> like, like they might have like a couple more quotes from sources or whatever. But like, I don't know. Like, I don't think sports – I well, okay. So I should say like, you know, some sports journalism is like real investigative journalism. Like Rick Resthead stuff, Katie Strang, like all of these writers who are doing these really deep dive exposés of aspects of hockey culture or whatever, right? So some of that is like real journalism. But some of this is like a beat writer is not like a journalist journalist to me. You know, like they're kind of like they're crafting a narrative. They're telling a story. They're 
reporting on the game and giving their opinion, but it's very much in that everything they write is kind of an op-ed, you know, <laughs> and it's paying attention to certain aspects. It's um, crafting a certain narrative that's going to get more clicks or whatever. I just think there's like different ways of being a journalist and that the beat reporters are more on the sports writer rather than sports journalist side. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, yeah, like I think Contract Gate really drove home for me. It was like every day a new AO3 fic would come out about like, like the Gino divorce, you know? Yeah, burnt a picture of Ron Hextall with his yeah, lighter yeah. off the balcony of his exactly. Miami condo. And that's not to say like that they were making it up. Like I think they were working from partial information too, but in the same way that we're working from partial information, like they were constructing a story out of partial information right and then they just have like a stamp of you know a publication like publish that online and i think it's worth saying too that like they're not always sharing all their information like josh yo he has often said that like oh if you want to hear the stories he can't publish like meet him at the casino when he does those like casino nights and like get <laughs> we should go we should go meet josh yo at the casino <laughs> <laughs> i have yet to step foot in rivers but if anyone wants to anyone oh with the cojones God, to yeah. do so with me uh come by and we can track down josh yo and like have him confirm all of our fic dreams um <laughs> Or maybe we'll learn something horrible and, like, leave fandom altogether. Yeah, but, like, knows, that's so. true because, like, one of the privileges of living here is the city is so small that, like, you can play seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's, like, three degrees of anyone in the city. And you can find <laughs> you can find <laughs> information about, like, if you're a lifer and, like, you grew up here, God help you, your business is everyone else's business. And it's deeply entertaining to me. But, like, I have heard so many stories of, like, one-on-one or, like, secondhand encounters with penguins players you know including sid and stuff like that just by living here for long enough and like hearing stuff that like josh yo he probably doesn't know that but like now i know because i ran into someone who worked somewhere who knew someone and told me stuff like it's all rumors and gossip at the end of the day but what we've kind of learned is that sometimes the beat reporters aren't reporting a lot more than rumors (laughs) and gossip themselves so Yes, I I couldn't agree more that, yeah, sometimes these are just guys with opinions and I don't necessarily want to lend too much credence to like fanish RPF imaginings, but I do want to maybe challenge a little bit more the quote unquote official journalism we are getting about these guys because we have seen it is biased. Like our writers are deeply not removing themselves at all emotionally from these stories that they're writing. Like the whole point is that they are like emotionally invested and connect to other fans that way. So it's just good to kind of remember as we're progressing through the the rocky waves of hockey RPF and dealing with, you know, the information that we're getting and like how we're perceived versus other fans and other people who like have opinions on the team that like at the end of the day it's all just opinions you know yeah yeah um yeah and I think too like it's interesting like yeah there's like a lot of I think especially with the athletic writers I don't read the other ones as much because I don't subscribe to like Taylor Hossey or or Taylor Haas but I don't subscribe to the publications that she and Danny Sheary write for so mostly I read the athletic right but I think like it's interesting like especially I think as we near the end of Sid and Gino's careers that there's this definite shift into myth-making mode about them like that NHL 99 article that Josh he wrote about Sid where it was like literally myth-making it was like people being like do you think he's the son of God <laughs> 
<laughs> which I think is so funny and so beautiful. But yeah, but it's interesting like to think that they also, I don't know, you know that quote that's like man is a storytelling animal or whatever. Like they we just have this instinctive desire to make stories about people and especially if they're these figures who have this mythic significance or have have this kind of iconic legacy within a city or a sport or whatever. But yeah, I don't know, it's just really interesting to see the the way that they write about the players and the particular narratives that they've invested in and and I would say that they are very uncritical of Sid. Not that I think he's done anything to be critical of, but like they're really invested in this particular understanding of him. And yeah, and that's like, and obviously like we don't know if that's what he's really like. I'm not saying he's not like that, but I'm just saying like they're making up stories too, you know, right. <laughs> even if they're and grounded. I, and I also in, want yeah. to say that like what they do is not a bad business strategy. Their whole function is not to simply report dry facts about games. If people wanted that, they would go look at the box score on the NHL's website. Having commentators who are, in fact, like injecting opinions into their writing is the point. Like that's that's their function is other fans who are passionate about these teams and these players want to like go in and be like, okay, you know, what do you think? What do I think? Let's figure it out. And like it's also great business because if you have a slightly incendiary take, then you get more comedy, more traction, and mm-hmm, that's how mm-hmm. journalism works in today's day and age. But um, I, I don't want them to be like you know completely objective. There's a time and place for that, and I don't think writing that after every single game would be an effective use of like any column space, right? Yeah. So yeah. they're like entertainment journalists, you know, it's like a magazine right. and it's entertaining. Like I enjoy reading them and like, I mean, sometimes they make me angry and sometimes they make me laugh because <laughs> the, the purple prose is really something, but, um, but you too like kids yeah. can be <laughs> hockey journalists. If you want to work hard <laughs> and one day you'll get a job from someone because surely there has to be room for you, but I don't mean to be mean. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we thought we'd end there because it's a way of bringing back our fic conversation, you know, fic narratives, fic tropes to reconnecting it to current events in hockey and the mainstream hockey fandom aspects that we've been talking about a lot over the past few episodes. Yeah. So thank you all for writing in. Um, we have more asks. We and we have a couple that we're saving, I think, for full episodes. But Feel free if you have suggestions or things that you want to write in about or if you want to respond to other episodes. We'll try to do mailbags a little bit more frequently and not not let them build up for like six months. <laughs> it's such a joy to see what other people think. And like the whole point of fandom is community and talking with other people and, you know, synthesizing all this wonderful information and opinions that we get from other people. So let us know what you're interested in or what you want to talk about or what you're thinking, because I'm sure we want to think about it, too. So drop by goodwoodpod.tumblr.com. Yeah. All right. See you guys next episode.